0: everybody welcome back to off the water i am your host darth yacker joining me tonight is my co-host the intern tyler caldwell also joining us tonight is hobie pro staff member and local fishing expert devin belts devin thanks for agreeing to come on the show tonight no problem so guys we got a great you you're welcome man um we have a great show lined up for tonight as we will focus on almost exclusively on fishing for sacolay uh, Devin is going to share the ins and outs of fishing for these elusive slabs and why Sackley fishing is just getting ready to heat up uh, a few housekeeping matters before we get started. We are pleased to announce that off the water is now available on Apple podcast, as well as Google podcast. It was approved as of today. So if you miss part of the show or just want to catch a recap while you're on the road, feel uh, feel free to get on and, and, and listen to it while you're driving. Also, a reminder that registration for Trout Challenge is now open. We have 28 anglers currently registered for this event. It's actually a pretty good start as the tournament's about three weeks away, and normally everyone waits till about the week or so uh, of the tournament to, to register. But, you know, we're hoping to get 50, 60 anglers uh, for that tournament. Uh, it's going to be a good time. Um, another reminder that our year-long Massey's Fish Picks Tournament is coming to an end. February 28th is the last day to submit your catches for the year. Uh, As a matter of fact, um, there were some pictures on Facebook today. Brock Miller, uh, representative from Backpacker that was on last week, actually landed a nice, uh, it was almost close to 21-inch trout that he was able to submit, shaking up the leaderboard a little bit. Um, This is a great event that Massey's has put on for the club um, with brand-new kayaks being given away to the top finishers. Also, uh, an announcement, we've already got next week's show lined up. Keith Green with the Inshore Fishing Association Kayak Division will be on to discuss the IFA tournaments and formats, as well as the upcoming IFA tournament here in Louisiana. Uh, this is a catch-and-release format here. Uh, I think it's uh, going to be a, a bull red and a trout, and I believe the weigh-ins in Lafitte. It's actually scheduled for, the I think, the Sunday before um, our Trout Challenge tournament. So Keith's going to be on. He's going to talk about the, the format, a little bit about the IFA. Uh, I believe the championship for the IFA is also this year. As I understand, I think it's in Grand Isle, but we'll be able to confirm that with Keith again. And so this will be a great opportunity if you've heard about it and, and we're a little intimidated about fishing it or just had questions about it. This will be a great opportunity for you to come on, ask questions, kind of learn the ins and outs of the uh, IFA kayak tour. I know we have a lot of members in our group that, that fish it and um, – they have some some pretty good prizes and uh, cash payouts in, in those uh, tournaments. All right, so I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready to get on this. I've been looking forward to this episode since we were able to get it arranged last week. I know Tyler has as well, um, and, and Devin was uh, good enough to come on. He came highly recommended by some of the best fishermen I know in the area. So, uh, Devin, again, thanks for coming on and, um, and, and spending uh, some time with us tonight. Uh, so so tell us a little bit, where where were you born, Devin?
1: Uh, I was born and raised in Luling, Louisiana. I uh, still currently reside here. Uh, I grew up fishing the bayous of uh, Bayou and Lake Desalmans. Uh, Desalmans is actually uh, Cajun French for the Germans. Uh, I was a German settlement here in the early 18th century, and my last name is Belts. Uh, so there's a little bit of history there. Uh, it's German as well. Um, uh, my wife, uh, we've been married for about 10 years now. We started a family a couple of years ago. we got a little 22-month-old little boy and uh, one more on the way. So she's uh, due same birthday as my son, April 5th, coming up soon.
0: Oh, oh congratulations. So April 5th, oh. that's, jeez, uh, that's I think a day before our tournament and a month before Patapalooza. So uh, we, we hope you can still make it, but certainly – we'll understand if, uh, if you can't make it, uh, I think we've had some babies being born in the club recently and they, they certainly take away from the fishing, but boy, are they, they're a lot of fun. So, so congratulations on that. We hope it all goes well for you. Uh, so now when you're not fishing, um, this can be a very expensive habit, uh, even, even for us kayakers. So, so what do you do to help support that habit?
1: Uh, you know, I, I do work for a living. Um, I fish on the side. I'm a nurse anesthetist in the New Orleans area. I work at three different facilities.
0: So, you help put people to sleep?
1: Yeah, yeah. I do a lot of orthopedic procedures at uh, Baptist Hospital in New Orleans, and then I do a lot of uh, epidural C-sections for laboring patients at uh, Lakeside Tulane. So,
0: is your wife going to let you do the uh, her epidural?
1: Uh, no, you generally try to stay away from doing, uh, families (laughs) anesthesia. It's just one of those, uh, golden rules in our, our, uh, industry there, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have some recommendations and, and get the best.
0: Well, that, that sounds good. That sounds good. So now, um, Devin, how, how'd you get into fishing?
1: Um, a good friend of mine, he was a house supervisor when I was a tech at St. Charles Parish Hospital, uh, Ron Chestnut. Uh, he started with the club uh, the first year. Uh, the second year, he said, Hey, you want to come fishing with me? They're doing this minimalist challenge. Um, <clears throat> I said, Sure, I'll follow you out there, see what it's about. They gave everybody five or six jig heads and a couple of baits. And uh, said, Hey, this is pretty cool. I, I think I'll join the club. And, uh, you know, I knew I was going back to school to do something a little different, but uh, I said, I'll, you know, try to fish when I can. And, uh, and the rest was kind of history. Just, uh, kept at it he, he let me borrow a little ocean kayak prowler uh i signed up for cca star the next year i uh, went to caminata pass threw out some live bait and ended up catching like a four and a half pound trout and one a hobie wow uh, so once i found the, once i found the pedal drives i said okay this is this is the way to do it and stuck with it ever since
0: you've been um you've been fishing all your life though
1: yeah yeah uh you know growing up in I started fishing off the bank and then, uh, you know, when I could borrow a p-rog or a little flat boat, I'd put that in and uh, just kind of beat the banks and the bridges in that area and kind of learn what works, what doesn't work and, uh, you know, kind of went from there.
0: You know, I, I go to a lot of restaurants and I, I, I see Des Almond's catfish. Is, uh, are their catfish better than the rest of the state?
1: I think one of the things that makes it so good is that uh, the, the fisheries underneath that bridge for, for catfish, they're a lot smaller um, over the years. You know, people, so many people have fished them that those small catfish have less and less of a bloodline. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot cleaner of a white meat. And, and I think that's why a lot of those places like Midendorf's and, and those places do really well because it's very thin, clean, uh, crispy crap catfish.
0: You know, I've got the same philosophy with trout. That's why I I try to catch the small trout and don't focus so much on the, you know, the, the, the big ones. Um, so if you ever see me come in with a bag, of small trout, that was certainly intentional. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, I know you're, you've been a member of BC, uh, Bayou Coast Kayak Fishing Club. Um, I, I've been with the club for a number of years now. And I know you've actually won some, some pretty good tournaments with the club, uh, I think you won Minimalist Challenge, uh, two or three years ago.
1: Yeah. Uh, 27. And then, uh, Brendan and Steve were up there last year. So yeah, it was the year before 2017.
0: Right. And I think you've also, uh, was it Fallen Tide that you won last year?
1: Yeah, it was Fallen Tide for 2018. Now
0: last year, were you fishing at, um, Bayou Log Cabins with everybody else? I think we had half the tournament was fishing out of there last year.
1: Well, uh, you, fish you know, I've fished there a few times. I, I could have been fishing there. <laughs> I, I've also fished in Fort Sulphur in Venice. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I've been around down there.
2: I understand. We're just seeing if you can slip up a little yeah. bit. Two, two years ago, I remember in uh, 2017, I crossed paths with Devin, and he was jigging for flounder. So I just wonder if maybe that's where he caught his flounder at last year. I'm not sure.
0: And where was that at, Tyler?
2: Uh, we'll, we'll talk off the air on that. Okay. Off the air.
0: That's good. That's good. All right. So, um, you're a member of the Hobie pro staff. So, uh, you've got to, you got to have a Hobie, right?
1: I have a Hobie Outback, 2019, uh, camo color. How do you like it? I like it a lot, man. It's, it's a lot faster than the previous year models. Um, you know, last year I invested in a couple of GoPros. I've been hoping to make a few more videos here. And I uh, got all the RAM set up for everything. And then this year they came out with the H-Trails, which are, you know, built into the Outback. Yeah. And uh, so half of the stuff that I bought, I actually don't need, but it works out great. Um, is very easy and convenient. I uh, definitely like that about it. And the fact that we got square hatches in all of them now. So uh, a lot of big improvements, a lot of upgrades there.
0: They, they are. They are. I, I absolutely love that the 2019, uh, I find that the drive and the, and the pedals and the bars actually seem to be a little bit sturdier than the ones of the past. They don't tend to bend as much um, and they seem to be a, a little bit sturdier. Um, so, so I know you do a lot of saltwater fishing. You also do a lot of freshwater fishing. Do you consider yourself a, a freshwater guy that does a little bit of saltwater or a saltwater guy that does a little bit of freshwater?
1: Uh if I had to say one or the other, I'd probably say my, my roots are more in freshwater fishing. And then, um, you know, over the years, I've, I've really enjoyed catching big trout. So, uh, you know, I kind of got away from freshwater fishing for a little while, but I always come back to the freshwater fishing just for the, uh, you know, the peacefulness of it, the, the scenery. And, uh, and I really enjoy using those ultralight uh, you know, set ups with six pound test and and uh, letting those pan fish take a little gray. Yeah.
2: It's nice to have a little bit shorter drive uh, every now and then, too. I know at least for me over in Albany, you know, going to the coast is easy two hours round trip. So hitting a little freshwater every now and then makes it, uh, you know, it doesn't. you don't spend your whole day fishing. It's easy to go out, make a quick morning trip and come back in and spend time with the family.
1: For sure.
0: I'm sure it's easier to probably on windier days, too, to kind of tuck away somewhere uh, in some of these smaller rivers and stuff, huh?
1: uh yeah i mean you know there's a lot of areas just like when you look at launches let's talk about you know highway one there's probably uh six or seven launches in that corridor you know but a lot of people just launch off the side of the road and kind of get you know uh into some areas that aren't uh frequent in as much you can do the same thing with freshwater fishing you know you can duck in off of these little small bridges that's the beauty about kayak fishing for freshwater too is and you can launch in some places that boaters might not be able to get to. Yeah, untouched territory, so to speak.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, well, well, let's get to it. You know, let's let's talk zackle fishing. I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to profess, make a confession here. I can talk about a lot of different things. I can talk about a lot of different saltwater. I've been fishing saltwater most of my life. Uh, not as skilled as, as a lot of the anglers in this club, but you know, I can at least hold a conversation. When it comes to cyclea, uh, I'm going to plead complete ignorance. Um, I couldn't tell a cyclea from a brim. Um, Tyler had to remind me before the show started that in some parts of the country they're called crappy. Uh, I thought they were two different fish. So <laughs> we're going to be really relying on you to kind of to bring us up to speed on on fishing, fishing form, rigging, and everything. Uh, I know it's 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 the talk this time of year. It really starts focusing around cyclea. We'll talk about that a little bit, but tell us a little bit uh, about what a saclay is. I mean, you know, I've gotten some pictures down, and I'm sure Tyler's gonna share them on here, but what exactly is a saclay? Uh
1: A saclay is a freshwater fish that's in the uh, panfish family, in the sunfish family. Uh, there are, Wildlife and Fisheries recognizes two different types. There's a black crappie, and I think Tyler's got a couple of slides he's gonna post up here on the stream. Um, but a black crappie, the uh, best way to differentiate, between a white is that black crappie has its speckled patterns all throughout the length of the fish. It's kind of a black and white checkered pattern, whereas a white crappie has that pigmentation in vertical lines. So you'll get this black vertical line, white vertical line, black. Um, that's probably the easiest way to tell the difference between the two. And you know, you go up north and you tell these guys, hey, I'm catching sockley," and they're like, what in the world is that? Um, the sockley name comes from the Choctaw Indians that were in this area. Uh, they called them sockley, which is S-A-K-L-I, and that was generic for trout. And then when the Cajun French came here and they tried it, they said, you know, hey, this is a really tasty fish. I think those Indians are saying sakule, which is Cajun French for sack of milk. And, uh, and it's a really good table fare. So, so that's where the name Sakalé comes from, and that's why it's mainly used in the south as opposed to the north. And uh, there's a, a creel limit on the fish, uh, it's 50 per person, per day. Uh, so that's a lot of numbers you can wait, have. Wait, wait, let, me,
0: let me go back. Did you say 50?
1: Five, zero.
0: 50, 50, 50 per day. 50 Sakalé per day, per person.
1: Per person. Yeah, not for a boat, and there's no size limit. Um, There are some areas in the state like Toledo Bend, Caddo, uh, Poverty Point, uh, I think Eagle Lake. uh, Some of the restrictions uh, there, uh, I think the size limit changes. Um, The number that you can have changes a little bit, but for the majority of the state, it's 50 per person per day.
0: Okay, now, generally speaking, about what size is, is a keeper saccolade to you? I mean, do you keep every one that you catch? I mean, if they're big enough to eat a bait, you're going to keep them? Or is it, you know, generally, if they're under so many inches, I'm going to throw them back?
1: Um, for my wife and I, uh, I normally would do fillets, and I won't fillet a saccade under 10 inches. I okay. think that's a really good size to be able to fillet. Um you know, my mom and uh, her family consider that sacrilege. If you're fileting a lay, uh <laughs> they want the head cut off. They want it scaled. They want the guts taken out, and they want it fried in cornmeal. And uh, they'll take them uh, seven or eight inches, and, and that's their favorite way to eat them. So yeah, it really I, depends on how you want to do it.
0: I got gotcha. you. And so, uh, you know, at that point, you're, I guess you're frying them whole at that point with the bones and everything. Correct. And I know some some people. The the it seems to be a little bit of the older generation. They love to eat the whole fried fish. I know, uh, growing up, it seemed that that was a lot of it. Um, I prefer not to pick through the bones, but a lot of people swear by it
2: and gives it a lot of flavor. Yeah, something about yeah, that, I mean, uh, the one. something about that that whole fried fish kind of turns me off. I don't know. I'm I'm a little picky though, so I think I'm going for uh, ten inches or bigger on the on the fillets.
0: Tyler, I think you'd be happy catching a six-inch suckle.
2: Yeah, you're right.
0: (laughs) I'd be happy if I could recognize one. Now, listen, uh, with with the Sacklea, you mentioned there's black and white. Are both of those species uh, in Louisiana?
1: Yeah. um, Most of the white Sacklea are generally caught deeper in 15 to 20 foot of water. They will come up shallow to spawn, but uh, pretty much year-round – your white sock layer are going to hang out deeper and most of the ones that you catch in the shallower uh, back marshes and canals. They're generally uh, black sock layer.
0: Okay. So, you know, fishing uh, saltwater, you know, we've got two times a year that everybody looks forward to really, you know, spring, um, you know, for the trout, they start moving down toward the beaches and everything. And then again, in the fall, when the trout start coming in, Um, and and the redfish and and things start cooling down. I think that's generally speaking, everybody's two favorite times a year, but right now we're in February, which generally speaking is, you know, one of the worst times a year to fish in my opinion. Um, but I'm hearing everything, everything Sackley, Sackley, Sackley. Why is Sackley suddenly coming up as, as you know, the, the go-to fish for, for February?
1: Um, so. In February, these fish are going to be driven by water temperatures to move up in back canals and spawn, so they're generally coming from um, their wintering holes, which are deeper spots, and they're moving up into those, you know, canal systems that are generally man-made that are, you know, maybe eight, ten foot deep, and as we get those temperatures between 55 and 65 degree water temps, those fish start moving up into what we call the pre-spawn, where the male's getting that... um, Seven to eight foot of water. And then they'll, as we get towards 60, 62 degree water temp, they'll kind of move up into the shallows and start about making beds. Uh, the males are the ones that do all the work. They fan the beds. I think Kyle's got a couple of pictures of that, uh, some beds that we found Saturday. And you can see um, the best way to be able to uh, find the bed is, is to look for that red clay color where they fanned all that aquatic grass out and uh, and you'll just see kind of this reddish tint on the water.
0: So, so that's kind of the whole thing. Tyler, do you have the picture up of uh, the spawn right now?
1: Yeah, I'm, I have okay. it up. So.
0: And so, um, Devin, if you could, tell us exactly what we're looking at in that picture. I know it's 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 a little unclear, but once you kind of explain it, it, it makes sense.
1: Um, so, so again, the, the males are coming up to make those beds for the females to be able to uh, move up during the full moons, which is – uh, there's actually a full moon tonight, so those beds were probably made uh, a week, week and a half ago, and there's females are just waiting for the long time to move up and lay their eggs. But in that picture, you're seeing that red tent, and they're looking for that hard bottom where the males will just sweep their tails and pick up all of that mud and sediment off the bottom and just have a very hard area for the uh, female Socoli to lay the eggs on. So and what, what say- makes... Mm-hmm go ahead what makes this time of the year um, special I think like you were saying you know what makes February uh, you know the soacco month is yes, they're spawning, but they become really aggressive. So whereas other times of the year uh, they're very, very finicky fish uh, right now they're they're really aggressive in protecting those nets and making sure that everything stays out of there So, they can. so
0: actually when the when they see these these baits coming in on artificial or something, they could interpret that as being a a type of predator coming in to try to get to the eggs. And so they attack it.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing of it. Uh, They're basically wanting to get rid of that bait and uh, you know, you're, you're sitting there actively trying to fish a bed and pull them out of it.
0: Yeah. And so that picture that that Tyler uh, put on there earlier, that's essentially that orange spot in the middle. That's where the males have come in and kind of cleared the area, so to speak it made a uh, a nesting area for the females to come in and lay the eggs. Right. Okay. And that's something you can see as you're paddling through. the water's clear enough, you've got polarized glasses, and that's something that you're able to see in the kayak as you're as you're going through these areas.
1: Yeah, so I'm not riding around specifically looking for those spots, um, but like Saturday, you know, I was kind of hitting the banks, uh, pulling a few soccote here and there. And when I actually saw that bed, I saw a couple of Sokele spook off of it. Uh, I left it for about 15 minutes. I made a U-turn, came back around, hit it again, and I pulled four males and a pretty big female off of that one bed.
0: Okay. Now, the, the um, they usually spawn come around March or so. Is that right?
1: So the spawn, uh, you know, again, a lot of people say that water temp between 55 and 65 And most of the females are spawning um, right around the full moon, which is tonight, uh, March 19th, April 19th. But it's not just, uh, you know, that's kind of textbook that it happens three days before the full moon, three days after the full moon. I think a lot of times you'll have maybe half of them that are doing it textbook. And then the rest of them, you know, they'll kind of just for the next month or so move in and off of those beds.
0: So the temperature, if, if you have a, an abnormally warm February, it could move the spawn up a little bit. Oh, on definitely. What like,
1: yeah. If we have a couple of nights, um, I like to watch the night temperatures. So if we have a couple of nights in upper fifties, low sixties, uh, that's when I really think about, you know, okay, let's load up the, the soccer league gear and, and get out there and start looking for beds.
0: Absolutely. So, we know february march is about the time they really start heating up um is this a fish that you can you can fish for year round
1: you can but the tactics change a lot um uh, i think it's um, a lot of fun fishing them right now just because they aren't as finicky Uh, you can get up shallow with them catch them in shallow water so um there's a little more action to see Um, when you fish in wintertime, a lot of deep dropping with, uh, sliding corks, uh, that type of fishing.
0: Okay. So during the spawn, um, what are the fish generally feeding on, uh, at this time? Is it, is it uh, a certain type of bait in the, in the area or?
1: Um, predominantly feed on grass shrimp and shiners, um, There's black spot shiners that are wild in Louisiana. A lot of the bait shops will sell um, golden shiners. Uh, Tyler has a picture of the grass shrimp net that I like to use. And what I do when I'm catching grass shrimp is I'll go underneath water hyacinth and basically take the roots of that plant. I'll shake that net underneath it and see what I have in the net when I'm done. And you'll find these little grass shrimp that are probably uh, no bigger than half an inch. And that's great to tip your little mini jig, tube jigs with uh, because sockley are used to feeding on those. They're used to the scent. Um, There's kind of two ways that guys keep those fresh. One is putting them in a little bit of water, like a little water bottle. Uh, some other guys also put them in cornmeal. Uh, the cornmeal will kill them but the good thing about the cornmeal is that it's keeping them from turning a white or pink color. So it keeps that natural translucent color, which uh, for some reason, when they get hot and they start turning pink, possibly they won't hit them anymore.
0: <coughs> Excuse me. So I don't have to keep them in an, in an area or anything.
1: Like no, you, do. you don't have to. Um, you, you know If you do notice that you have them in a little, uh, small 12 or 20 ounce water bottle and you notice that they are dying if you have uh warmer air temps you don't want to let them turn pink so you can have a little uh ziplock of cornmeal with you and just toss them in there.
0: And I don't have to worry about hooking them through the between the brains or anything in the head?
1: No, they're so small, man, with those little jig heads uh they, they're pretty much dead as soon as you hook them it, it there's no real technique to it.
0: Okay. <clears throat> so you know, Tyler and I were talking about this. I'm, I'm ready to go do a sacklay trip, but I have no gear for sacklay fishing. So I kind of want to just go through the basics with you. What do I need to start out? Let's 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 go rod right and reel. You know, what 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 do I like a Zepco? What do I need here?
1: Uh, nothing expensive. Uh, you can make this pretty simple. Yeah, <coughs> Zepco makes uh, a crappy combo. Quantum makes one. I have a couple of Quantum's. Uh, Ultra light, light, medium light, any size. Um, really, I say what you're comfortable with. Um, I do have some medium lights. I also have ultra lights. I would say a real in the 500 to 1000 series, uh, somewhere in there. Most of these combos cost you about 25 bucks if you go to Academy or Walmart. So uh, it doesn't have to be a very um, pricey venture to want to. Okay.
2: okay. So I went uh, this past weekend and I was. I'm um, kind of trying to gear up. and uh, I've never shopped for an an ultralight setup before, and I noticed that a lot of the ultralight rods were were really short. Uh, it seems short compared to what I'm used to using, and I don't know if that is, is what kind of rod length are you talking about here? does it does it matter? I mean, um, I guess the ones I saw mostly were like five foot six to six six foot long.
1: Yeah, so I would say, um, you know, that's pretty accurate uh, with ultralights. Uh, I even have some Flugers that are like four, six. Um, they're a little harder to cast, but um, it's, it's all in what you're looking for. Uh, I generally like, I would prefer my five, fives. Um, if I'm going to troll some crankbaits and have it be like a really good all around ultralight rod, uh, more in that six foot range is, is something that I would pick. Um, but it's good to have a couple in different sizes because, you know, when you're fighting them on that four, six or five, five, uh, it's just a little bit better of a fight with six pound test.
0: Okay. And what, what type of lawn do you use? Do you use a mono, a floral? Uh, I can't imagine you use a braid, but you know, you never know.
1: No, uh, you know, braid, a lot of people call these fish, uh, paper mouths and, and braid doesn't really have the gear to allow you to to get these fish in without them tearing off. Um, so mono has a little bit of stretch with it. Six pound test mono is pretty much what I have spooled on, on all of my reels.
0: Okay. Now, so we've got, we've got a rod, we've got our, our reel, we've got some, some, uh, some line here. Uh, let's talk about the baits. We, we talked a little bit earlier about the live bait that you use, the grass strip and the shiners. Um, real quick, are those, those items that you can pick up at like these bait shops that you frequently see around a lot of these launches?
1: Half of the bait shops now because of the the farm raising of golden shiners. Uh, now they're, they're pretty consistent in having shiners. Um, grass shrimp, you're not really going to find that in a bait shop. That's something you're going to have to, uh, you know, if you want to do it, invest in a $20 net and go out there and catch them yourself. Okay. Um,
0: so then let's talk about the, uh, uh artificial baits. You can also use artificial baits, obviously, when you, when you're fishing for, uh, for Sac Lake, correct?
1: You can, uh, the tube jigs come in pretty much every color combination you could think of. Um, some tried and true colors are blue and white, black and chartreuse, uh, there's one that's kind of nationally known now. Uh it's it's won a lot of tournaments uh Bobby Garland makes it. It's uh called Monkey Milk. It's a really good translucent uh pepper flake looking bait. Um the these fish also feed on bloodworms during the summer. Um bloodworms are red, so anything with red and silver flake anything in that um you know color category works really well as well. So is this is this under uh under a cork or them earlier, how are you rigging them? Uh, So when I'm doing cast and retrieve methods, uh, I'm generally using uh, a clip-on cork uh, about 12 to 36 inches uh, with a two jig underneath. Southern Pro Jig Heads is one of the few jig heads around us that makes a painted jig head and during the spawn, if you have a brightly colored painted jig head, they tend to be a little more aggressive on those. Um, a lot of the other jig heads that I find in that one thirty seconds ounce, uh, they come unpainted and I find that, uh, I get a, a few less bites with those.
0: So Devin, I'm looking at, um, uh, just for our reference, we, we've, we've labeled some pictures here, slide, uh, slide seven, Tyler, if you could put that on the screen, um, Devin, that's basically a, uh, tackle tray you've got with all kinds of different baits in there. You just kind of go through some of the baits you've got in there. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know how to describe some of them. Some of them look like soft plastics and some of them are, look like some type of hard baits. Yeah, some crankbaits, maybe small crankbaits. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So in the uh, the top row, I have some crankbaits. Most of those are um, one to two inches. That's great for uh, trolling setup. You can take those crankbaits. Uh, like you were asking about the rod lengths, more of a, a six-foot rod is best for that. Uh, if if you have a Hobie, you can pedal. If you have a paddle kayak, you can start getting the kayak in motion and just kind of toss that crankbait behind you. Let some line out and then continue that motion forward. Get it out about 30 yards behind you. And then maybe every 10 seconds or so, just kind of stop the kayak. Let that crankbait come up to the surface let it sit for a few seconds and then start forward motion again. That's a great way to trawl for, uh, for pre-spawn sockele that might be sitting in that mid water column.
0: Okay. And then what we've got, uh, what we're looking at here on the second
1: row. Uh, it's a little hard for me to see on my picture. I, I think a lot of that is uh, soft plastics in the second and third row. Um, that's mm-hmm. a lot of the tube jigs that we were talking about in the different colors. Uh, one of them looks like it's a, a tomato seed it's kind of like a pumpkin seed with a red on the bottom uh black and blue you know again all of those are really, really good colors uh, a lot of the guys you know that I know that are top sockle fishermen they always say the best color is the one that they're hitting on um, <laughs> you, 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 there are guys out there that have four and five tackle trays of sockle baits um the guys that I see that come back with boxes and boxes of soccer league, they generally stick with maybe five or six colors, and that's kind of it. It's it's all in what you have confidence in and uh, in what you're willing to throw. Um, I think that fourth row, I've got a couple of mini spinners and road runners. Um, that mini spinner can be deadly in the spawn if, if they're being really aggressive. Um, Tyler, one of those slides, I think it's uh, slide 11. I've got my exact setup for the mini spinner. It's a uh, Eagle Claw, size three blade.
0: Yep, I can see that, right?
1: Yep. Yeah, so that size three blade is, is the perfect size. Uh, if you go to an H&H brand, you have to watch because the size kind of changes. H&H brand's a size two, um, but it's about the size of a dime. And if you toss that up against the bank, it doesn't matter what color you have, just kind of slow roll it back to you, give it a little twitch every now and then. Uh, that can be really deadly during the on just to get that reaction by. Hey,
2: hey Devin, uh, just one question came through in the Facebook group. If you could repeat the name of uh, the painted
1: jig heads that you were talking about, uh, that brand is Southern Pro Jig Heads.
0: I think they're, uh, they're pictured in uh, slide 10 and 11 there, Tyler. Okay. So, um, him up. I know you're, you are, uh, good friends with the ginger Avenger. He makes a lot of saltwater tackle with the, with the spinner blades. Do you, does he, uh, do any, uh, crappy
2: stuff? No, uh, not that I know of, but I actually, uh, texted him before this show and mentioned it to him. He said, it's actually something he's, uh, he's, he's been considering, uh, adding to his lineup. So,
0: well, you know, maybe you can get with Devin and Devin can kind of show him, you know, what he's got in mind. And then, uh. We get the Ginger Avenger on it and uh, create a, some new crappy baits. Sounds like you plan know, to me. That'd be a good, <laughs> good combination there. Yeah, for sure. So, Devin, when, when I'm, I might say, you know, I, I go to Puglies a lot because it, it's close to my house and they've got a really good selection of, of, of baits over there. Um, Will most of these baits be labeled for crappy or sack lay, you know, you know, using for crappy or sack lay as compared to bass, trout, redfish, et cetera?
1: Yeah, and and if you talk to the guys in most of those places, they'll generally lead you over to a section, uh, you know, panfish section, and you'll see that the the baits, you'll have some of the same uh, bass assassin baits and the same colors and styles, but the bags will be a lot smaller, and they'll say panfish assassin on them. You'll clearly see that instead of a a five- or six-inch fluke, we're talking, you know, inch-and-a-half, two-inch fluke. Okay, Um, you'll kind of notice the difference when you're looking at the two side by side.
2: And uh, look, I'm going to put slide 10 on the screen, but uh, that looks like a uh, setup for the the slip corks. And I thought maybe you might go into more details on on how you rig that.
1: Yeah, so uh, on slide 10, that's got everything that I use uh, from a slip cork rig. And basically the way that I rig it is there's a bobber stopper that you slide up the line first, and then I'll slide that pear-shaped cork on the left, and then I tie a swivel. That swivel is uh, really important to have because when you're deep dropping like that, you know, if you're fishing in 15 foot of water with a sliding cork, a lot of times you'll get a lot of line twist, and if you don't put that swivel... uh, 20 or 30 minutes later, your line's all tangled up and, and you know, you're having to go home or re-spool a whole, whole spool of line just because you're having so many issues with it. Um, so once I tie that swivel, I basically run about a three foot leader down to a one sixteenth ounce jig head and put any color of choice. I'll put a couple of split shots on there. And, and the beauty about that rig is, you know, when you're fishing areas like uh, Henderson, or fishing really deep water in the winter, you can drop it in an area that you're casting a very small rig out, but you're able to set that bobber stopper to 15 feet. Those fish that are uh, hanging out deep in the wintertime, they might be only three, four feet off the bottom. So if you're fishing in 20 foot of water. You want to set that cork at 17, 16, 15 feet of water in front of time. So that's a good way to do it without being right on top of them.
0: Wow, so you're you're literally fishing with a cork, but you're fishing pretty deep, 15, 16 feet down.
1: Yeah, and like I said, that's that's kind of the tactic that uh, most guys use during the winter time, or um, in areas like Henderson. In Henderson, you really see the separation between uh, the, the two species, where the, the white crappie are and the black crappie, because the black crappie are going to be closer to the banks, closer to the edges, whereas the white crappie are going to hang real deep on those bridge pilings and uh you know they they live most of the year in that 16 15 foot uh range so we we had
2: a good question come through here on uh facebook here uh, and so somebody's asking say say you go out what would you recommend for somebody that's never stacked a lay fish before and they want to go out this weekend Uh, what would be a good beginner setup for somebody to rig to go try? I know we've talked about a bunch of different setups, but what what would be the one that you'd recommend for somebody that has not done this before?
0: For this time of year in February right now, pre-spawn.
1: Yeah. Sure. Um, So what I would say is to kind of build some confidence and have some success, um, you can use a minnow setup and, get maybe 10, 15 minnows as insurance, and you can actually troll a minnow rig behind you uh, while you're casting a tube jig and cork up against the bank. And the way that I do that is uh, I take a number two uh, Alberdeen hook and I put a split shot above it. And then I'll set a weighted cork about three foot deep and I'll toss that out behind me, let it hang out about 30 yards behind the kayak, and I'll just pretend that it's not even back there while I'm hitting the bank with either a mini spinner or a tube and, uh, and a cork. And at some point, that minnow is going to go off behind you. And I've caught 20-pound catfish like that. I've caught 2-pound sockele like that. And over the years, I've probably caught uh, 8 or 9 bass over 5 pounds on that minnow setup like that. So I think that it helps, uh, you know, get guys a little excited when they're fishing that. I mean, I'm a veteran. I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I still employ that little insurance rig in the back. Uh, Sockley are great eating. So the more I can put in the bag, uh, you know, the happier I am at the end of the day. So I would say, you know, there's really two rigs that you could use. One would be that minnow setup, and the other would be just a cast and retrieve method toward the bank while you're waiting for that uh, minnow to get hit. And if you spend a couple of hours out on the water, that, that minnow rig will definitely get hit. What what size uh, weight are you using for that split shot? That split shot, like I said, I'll run it about six inches above my hook, and uh, it's generally a number seven split shot.
2: Okay.
0: And that, that brings up a good point. While you're you're trolling it, um, if you get a hit on that, that minnow that you're trolling, is that kind of giving you an indication, hey – the the you know the could be could be over there and you'll go back and hit that area where you got that bite.
1: Yeah, and, or is, and that, is that not,
0: plus a random thing?
1: Um sometimes it's random, but the other thing that'll help you determine is if you know, let's say it took an hour for that to get hit, but you haven't had a single up against the bank. If that minnow was behind you and he was 15 yards off the bank. Well, now you might start thinking, well, maybe these fish aren't quite spawning yet. Maybe they're not all the way up against the bank. Maybe I want to back my kayak off 40 yards off the bank, start casting toward that 15-yard mark where that minnow was sitting. Hmm. In general, you start getting more bites. And that's the whole thing with soccer-lay fishing is you have to find a pattern. You have to keep on the move. Uh, you know, it's fishing fast initially, covering as much ground as you can. But when you get bit, you slow down and think about, you know, why you got bit in that area and really start trying to hone in on, can I repeat that? Okay.
0: Tyler, if you could put up slide number eight real quick. Um, and, and Devin, what we've got here on slide eight are the uh, the Billy Bob Bobbers. And they appear to be, I guess, at least two different style of Bobbers. Um, tell me a little bit, what, what's the difference here uh, with these Bobbers that you're using?
1: Um The main one that I use during spawning season and and pre-spawn is that middle one. So it's weighted, so it gives you, um, it's a a little bit easier to cast out there. The problem um, with your spawning fish and and your post-spawn fish is the more it gets drawn out after those females have laid eggs, those males start getting really, really finicky. So at some point you have to kind of drop the weight on that cork and you can see uh, to the right, I have cork without the weight and to the left, there's basically a very small whittled down cork that has no weight at all. Mm. So what happens is these fish get really finicky, they hit that weighted cork and they'll spit that lure right back out because they know something's not right with it. So you'll kind of have to transition to a smaller, lighter weight cork so that they don't feel it. And it's just they're one that's, of those things. That,
0: they're that sensitive to the bite sometimes. Say again? I said they're that sensitive to the bites sometimes that they can tell when they hit a bait if it's got a weighted cork or an unweighted
1: cork. Oh, absolutely. I mean, definitely post spawn, they'll get, uh, you know, just really, really finicky. And sometimes you might just have to go with a 116 ounce jig head and no cork. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's more successful without the cork at all.
0: Okay. Now, I know, Tyler, if you could put slide uh, slide nine back up. Uh, what we're dealing with here, Devin, you sent us some pictures of uh, a Berkeley Power Bait and Berkeley Gulp. So they actually make a, uh, a, a gulp type bait for um, sack life fishing.
1: So that's a pretty recent uh, new addition. And a friend of mine told me about that bait, and he said, "He said, man, you never believe it." And he said uh, we were trying something of out, out those new two and a half inch smelt minnows. And he said, we sat down for lunch and the corks were just sitting out there and we started catching Sakele with them sitting like that. And I said, well, it doesn't surprise me because I've caught fish on gulp like that saltwater fishing. And, uh, you know, they, they have that patented scent to them. Um, and and I've tried it trolling them and you could troll any other plastic without that stop and go pattern. And you can just let it sit there. They're generally not going to hit it. But for some reason, if that gulp is just sitting there that's one of the few baits that will hit that's not live bait.
0: Huh. Now, what about the, uh, the power bait? looks like it's a little pellet, pe- pellets maybe, little pellets?
1: Yeah, I think that was kind of the an answer to a uh, synthetic version of, of grass shrimp, right? Because uh, a lot of these guys, they'll just tip that jig with grass shrimp. Um, but this was a way to say, you know, hey, you don't have to go catch grass shrimp, but here's a little way to put some stink on your jig head and uh, maybe entice a few bites.
0: Have you have you used the pellets before?
1: I have. Um, in the last couple of years, I noticed they are getting a little bit softer. Uh, so one mm-hmm. of the things I do is I'll kind of set them on my driveway for 20 minutes. Uh, before I go out, I'll let them tighten up a little bit. It makes them just a little bit uh, more durable. Uh, but they do work. If I can't put the shrimp, that's, uh, that's a close second.
0: Oh, okay. That's definitely something to try out. So you actually will tip your... Uh, your plastics on your hook with that little, uh, with that little pellet.
1: Yep. You can generally with those little small Southern project heads, you can generally get one or two of those little, uh, crappy niblets on there.
0: Okay. Okay. So, you know, we've got, um, we've got a rod and reels. We've kind of gone through the tackle now. And, uh, I know you were kind enough to provide us with, Uh, some locations throughout the state. Well, mostly, I guess it's going to be Southeast. And um, Tyler, uh, I think you've got a slide for that
2: uh, that maybe you could pop up on the screen there for everybody to look at. We actually just had a question on Facebook uh, asking for a couple good locations to start. So it's a good uh, transition into this.
0: Okay. What was the question?
2: Uh, it was a, uh, asking for a couple good locations to start, without giving up any secret spots.
0: Oh, great, great! And, and as we promised, Devin, we're not going to ask you for any honey holes. But what you've been really, really kind enough to do is, is you sat down and you made a list of uh, some launch spots uh, for people. So this will, you know, basically put you in the area uh, to go catch satellite. And so you've got it broken down here: um, West Pearl River, East Pearl River. Chifuncta, Bogafalaya, Tickfall River, Blind River, St. Charles Parish, and the Lake Verret area, uh, Homa, Amelia Lake Palador area, and so uh, Tyler has the um, a, a slide for each of these locations. I think we've got one. I think we've got over fifteen launches listed here. Um, so all these places that you've got here, these are areas where people can put in, and these are areas known to you to actually uh, hold Lake.
1: Yeah, most of those areas are uh, cypress swamps that have uh, willows mixed in with them, uh, tupelo gums. A lot of those areas have subdivisions that are close to them or man-made canals. Uh, they're they're all really good areas for Socolay. That's the general area that uh, you're looking for to kind of pin down and say, you know, these backwaters are gonna hold Socolay this time of the year. And that, that map that I kind of uh, worked with Tyler to make you know, it kind of goes all the way from uh, Henderson down to um, the Chaffalai Basin, and then east over to uh, St. Charles, and then back up to Covington. So, uh, for guys on the North Shore, uh, there's areas like Tickfaw and Chafunda. I included a couple of launches that are uh, really easy. I know several guys that fish the uh, the Chifunca and uh, do really well there. You'll fish a, a big, pretty big stretch without getting a bite. But when they do find them in uh, typical sakale fashion, uh, they, they'll load the, the boat up with them. And, uh, you know, they, they really enjoy fishing out here. So that's really good for those North Shore guys.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm seeing locations here, it look like they've got some on, on the North Shore. They've got some close to uh, Slidell, uh, near Houma, you know, close to New Orleans, Metairie area. So uh, we really appreciate that. You know, uh, if someone were to ask me where, you know, Sean, where to go to catch sakale, I, I wouldn't have a clue, but at least now, you know, uh, we've got locations. You know, as long as you've got a spot, you say, look, I, I, can, I can launch here. And then we can kind of go explore on our own, knowing that the fish are in the area, rather than trying to go, you know, north Louisiana and catch a speckled trout, you know, uh, fishing somewhere up in Shreveport. Um, so this time of year, do you find one particular area better than another? Or is this basically February, March, it's on kind of everywhere where Sacklay are found?
1: No, it's it's pretty much on everywhere sockeye are found. Um, some of the areas I would avoid uh, if you notice there's a lot of rainfall would be, uh, you know, the, the Chafunca River uh, when the when Pearl River is over ten feet, uh, it's not generally as good. So there's some uh, little small things to be aware of there. Uh, but for the most part, now I mean, regardless of what body of water these fish are in. They're driven by that instinct to get up and spawn. That aggressiveness is there, um, you know, again, regardless of the, the body of water.
0: Okay. So, you know, we've got these launch spots. And, y- you know, I know kind of what I'm looking for when I'm going red fishing and, and when I'm going, you know, and fishing for trout. But I'm new to the, new to the sport of sack lay fishing, and I've got a launch. I've got all my equipment. I know where I'm going. So I launch. What am I looking for? as far as an area that, you know, I want to fish. Now I know we control and that may help us locate some fish, but if I want to, you know, say, I want to look for certain structure or certain vegetation, what am I looking for when I'm, when I'm targeting Sakelay, once I've decided where I'm launching?
1: Yeah, so like we were talking before, um, male Sakelay are going to move up into those shallows with hard bottoms and kind of fan that vegetation. One of the things they look for is that hard bottom, but another thing that they look for is cover. So if you have a tree that's fallen in the water that's coming over and it's right up against a hard bank, those are areas where as you're passing you want to stop and kind of say to yourself, hey, that could be a really good spot.
0: Okay. What about um, um, like tree stumps, you know, things like that, fallen trees, is, is that an area that I'd want to fish?
1: Um, they really stack up and fall in fallen trees in the summertime. Um, okay. Like we were talking about before, in the pre spawn and the spawn, they're really trying to stage pre spawn out in eight foot of water, six foot of water, and then move up into that one foot as the water temps go up. So um, I would focus less on the trees and more of the pattern of where they are off of the bank and their distance, and focus less on that structure and more on the distance off of the bank right
0: now, and at this time of year, they're going to be um, when they start spawning. They're going to be in the shallower water is where we're going to be looking for them.
1: As as the uh, air temperature and water temperature warms up, yeah.
0: Okay, and that that water temperature we're looking for, I think you said was fifty five to sixty five degrees. That's it. Okay. All
1: right. Now, I mean, there are exceptions to the rule. I have caught um, sockeye females with eggs. End of May in seventy-eight degree water temperature, and and sometimes they just don't follow the rules. They're not all textbook, um, you know. But uh, you, you try to uh, catch the masses when they do spawn, and that, that makes for the really good fishing days. But uh, there are outliers.
0: Okay, I think Tyler, you wanted to cover some of the uh, some of the areas here we had we had listed. Uh, yeah, so I mean,
2: I, we have a bunch of individual slides that kind of list these launches, and I know. Um, I'll kind of put them up and, and just read through them quickly. And then Devin, you know, if, if there's any particular ones that stand out to you that you might want to comment on, I'll, uh, I'll let you do that. So, uh, first one I'm putting up here is the, um, Pearl River area. Looks like you have four launches there. Honey Island Swamp. This is West Old Pearl River. Hun- Honey Island Swamp Tours, uh, has a launch. David Landing Boat Launch. Uh, there's a public boat launch there on Highway 90. And then, uh, on the East Pearl River, there's, a uh, East Pearl River Boat Launch. Um, Let's see. Next, we have uh, Chifuncta and uh, Bogafalaya area. There's uh, the Water Street launch in Covington, Louisiana. It's a free public launch. Uh, Over at the Blind River and Tickfall area, you have Tickfall public launch um, on Highway 22 right next to Bupaloo's Bar in Springfield, Louisiana. Um, And then on Blind River, I know St. James Boat Club's a, a pretty popular spot, um, right off airline highway and in, in Gramercy, uh, kind of close to the Gonzales area. And then, um, uh, black Lake club bait and tackle, which is out in
1: Marpaw. I've seen a lot of somebody caught at that St. James boat club right there at that, uh, little bridge, you know, it's, it's hit or miss, just like, uh, fishing anything else. But, uh, I've seen a lot of them caught right there next to the launch.
2: Okay. And, uh, Next is uh, Saint Charles Parish. Uh, so this is over in uh, looks like Devon's uh, home waters. We got the Des Almond's boat launch, uh, which is a free public launch. We have uh, I might butcher this name. Psalms is that how you pronounce it or Soma So got the, the Cajun to it. Soma's Marina. Uh, it's a ten dollars ten dollar launch in Des Almond's uh, Pier ninety Marina. West we go. $5 launch, uh, Bayou Gaucher boat launch, is that right? Bayou Gaucher. Of course, I stressed <laughs> the E there when I shouldn't have did it. <laughs> uh, that's a free public launch. And then uh, Hanville boat launch on Highway 3127. Uh, it's a, a free public launch. Next up, we have the Lake Verret area, Jack Miller's Landing, um, Plaquemine, Louisiana, Bay Natchez, which is uh, also may be referred to as the old White Castle Landing in Pierre Park. Uh, Bayside Launch and Tackle, North Lake Verrette. And then uh, Attack-A-Paw Landing on East Lake Verrette's free public launch. Uh, that's also a great place to uh, launch and, and go catch catfish there along the, the trees let's see, Homa area, Cannons Boat Launch and Bob's Bayou Black Marina. Uh, Devin, did I did I read something that Bob's Bayou Black Marina may be closing here in a, in a month
1: or so? It's possible, uh, but as of right now, they're open and functioning. Uh, there's some issues with landowners in the immediate vicinity, and they might cut off access to his canal, um, but for the... Uh, the next couple of weeks, at minimum, uh, he's up and running and, and they're hoping to extend everything. So hopefully this is an issue that gets tied up in courts and, uh, you know, launch is still open for a couple of years. OK. And then the last uh, area we have
2: is Amelia Lake, Florida area uh, a Bob, the Bob Thibodeau Memorial Boat Launch. I think this is a newer launch it might have been built in the last few years as uh, a one dollar launch fee down towards uh, Morgan City.
0: That's great. There's a lot of different areas here for, for our members that are, you know, basically, if you're in the North Shore, New Orleans, Mattery, Kenner, Houma, Thibodeau, Slidell, you know, you've got all kind of uh, launches here available that, you know, will, will hold Sackley. And, um, you know, I'm certainly looking forward to trying it out. I, I know we've got a busy March coming up, a lot of tournaments coming up. I've got to just figure out a day I can go out and uh, and, and do some Sackley fishing because, I'm getting pretty excited about it now. I know in one of these slides, I just see these, these blobs everywhere lining. Uh, looks like it's lining your driveway here. Slide number three.
2: I'll pull it up real quick. Let's see. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. That, that's a, that's a whole lot of good eating right there. It looks like
0: Is that, uh, Devin, is that a mix of black and white sock cause some certainly look darker than the other ones
1: yeah, so there's a mix in that particular picture. A few of them are white, but again, most of them are black. But even the black to look uh, different uh, colors depending on uh, the oxygenation of the water that they came out of. Um, the, the best way to tell is really looking at the pattern of the the stripes, not necessarily the uh, the color, the lightness.
0: Okay. Now, I know you you and I were talking before uh, before we got going tonight. And, um kayak fishing' is becoming very popular uh y- you see it a lot especially in, well at least in southern Louisiana mostly in salt water um sometimes we get you know uh problems from some of the boaters for the most part I think they're they're courteous they slow down uh and and you know they're they're aware of us out there especially in places like Leeville um and uh, and some of these other places uh, you know golden Meadow where uh, Delacroix, Hope Dale, where where kayakers are really prevalent in those areas, but freshwater, um, you, you know, it's not, uh, I, I guess, as prevalent. And I know you've got some stories uh, about you fishing on freshwater, you know, that maybe you could share with us to to help everybody, uh, you know, be safe on the water when they're out there fishing, because it, it is a little bit of a different environment in freshwater as it is compared to uh, fishing on saltwater.
1: Right. I, I mean, I think for the most part, the, uh, the inshore saltwater community, uh, the, the awareness of kayakers has really, really grown in the last couple of years. I mean, there's saltwater tournaments everywhere now. Um, with freshwater, you don't really see that. And, and I remember a couple of years ago, uh, I was out in a little small, narrow canal and I had a, a mud boat with a big 354 Chevy engine come running, I mean, right up on top of me. And I had a light, I uh, had my life jacket on and everything, but uh, I really thought he was going to swamp me. And we probably could have high-fived as he, as he passed me and never said a word to me. Uh, but I hear him talking to his wife as he uh, nearly runs me over. And in the thickest Cajun accent, uh, I just hear him saying, oh, at the tut, look at that, uh, little guy in a little pedal boat, you know, uh, what they going to think of next? And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of mad at the guy, right, for almost running me over. But at the same time, I'm kind of laughing. And I'm thinking, you know, th- these guys, they don't really see us very often. Uh, maybe they see a pea every now and then duck hunting season. But then the rest of the year, uh, the, the, the awareness just isn't up. So if you're going to go out in some of these smaller canals, backwaters, and bayous. You know, we've got bass boats that do 90-plus miles an hour now. Uh, make sure you're seen. Uh, have a life, have a life jacket. If you've got some uh, reflective uh, material that you can put on your kayak, use that and and just be aware of your surroundings. Know that uh, the awareness isn't up in some of these areas. Uh, You know, look out for yourself. Safety first.
0: Okay, great. Yeah, we appreciate that. It's one thing we we, we constantly preach in the club. You know, um, it seems like at least once a month, there's an article coming out, someone who wasn't wearing a life jacket sometimes in kayaks sometimes in boats and, and someone drowning when it was you know it was really completely unnecessary um so you know certainly those are there are good tips to follow now uh, just to get back to Sackley a little bit there's uh, we, we talked a little bit about cooking you know filleting versus frying uh you've got a a picture in here and tyler if you could pull it up at slide number six there uh tell us what we're looking at i, I see a a a Saclay with the head cut off and a, and a bunch of yellow gunk in your hand.
1: Yeah, that, uh, that yellow gunk is the roe, and uh, you know that, that's what all this business is about with the spawn. They're, they're laying those eggs, and uh, that's a poor man's oyster right there. You cut that baby open and uh, put a little cornmeal on it, fried it up, and it, it tastes a lot similar to an oyster. That, that's good stuff right
2: there. Yeah, De- Devin completely talked me out of trying that after seeing that picture. I think if he'd have posted a picture of it already battered and fried, I might would have thought about it. But I'm not so, sure.
0: and, and Devin, so you said you actually cut open the rosac and, and it doesn't like spill out everywhere.
1: No, it doesn't. I mean, uh, y- you would think it would, um, but it actually holds together really well. And you're just put putting a split in that so that uh, it doesn't pop when you stick it in the fry.
0: That's good. And so I, I take it, it can't take long to, to cook though, huh? 30 seconds a minute.
1: Yeah. I mean, you drop it in and starts floating 30, 45 seconds later and it's done.
0: All right. Well, Tyler, it sounds like, uh, when we go out and catch our Saccolay, that will be the first one you have to, uh, you have to try out for sure.
1: Yeah. I'll
2: keep the fish and give you the row.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Devin. Um, so w- what is a good size Saccolay? Like if I'm out, and I said, man, that, that is a trophy Socolay right there. What, what, what would I know that to be?
1: I think trophy, you'd have to, just like, you know, you know, we talk about Trout and Grand Isle versus Big Lake versus Texas. You have to look at the area. Um, you go to a place like Toledo Bend and Poverty Point, uh, a three-pound Socolay is, is a good Socolay. Uh, a two-and-a-half-pound Socolay is a good Um I think down here in the St. Charles Parish area, uh, you know, two pounds is a very respectable sockle. Anytime you get over that 13, 13 and a half inch mark, uh, you know, you, you'll know when you pull it up, it, it's a sizable fish.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Tyler, do we have any other questions from anyone uh, viewing tonight?
2: I think we've about uh, covered all of them that I've seen.
0: Yeah, I, I know we're, we're coming up on an hour here.
2: And I know Devin's, uh,
0: got a wife that's expecting here shortly, and I'm sure he's wanting to get back with her and his kids. Uh, Devin, is there anything else you, you you want to add to, to, uh, our discussion tonight? Anything we may have missed, uh, any, any help, other helpful suggestions you can provide us?
1: No. Um, you know, if anybody has any further questions, um, you know, if anybody's interested in me posting some pictures of that slide and cork rig, um, you know, you can send me a message on Bayou coast or, uh, my email—it's my first and last name, Devin Bell at gmail.com. Um, you know, but I, I think that that about covers the basics for the, uh, the spawn.
2: Yeah, we, we may follow up this and uh, post these these slides with the launches. Uh, maybe it'd be a little easier for y'all to see them. You know, we didn't have them on the screen very long, but uh, absolutely. Maybe
0: Tyler, when we post it um, on the Facebook, you know, when we repost the uh, the 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 broadcast on the Facebook, we can post some pictures underneath showing some of the different slides, uh, some of the setups there for people. Cause I know that's something that I'm going to want to definitely go back to and refer and probably save some of those pictures. So when I, I go to Puglia's or Academy or wherever I'm going,
2: uh, Cabela's, I can, I can bring it up and,
0: you know, say, okay, this is what Devin fishes with. I'm find it down the aisle here.
2: We we just have one more question. Somebody says, Mm -hmm. when you fry
1: them whole, do you eat the bones and fins? So no to eating the bones, but absolutely to eating the fins. It's uh it's like the best potato chip you've ever had. And and that's why people fry them whole it gives a little bit of extra flavor uh from the bones, but also uh everybody likes that potato chip. And and soccer, they have a very, very large uh tail segment, dorsal fin, as well as that anal fin. It's a lot bigger than uh largemouth bass and some of the other brown.
0: So do you eat the tail?
1: Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, so everything but the bones.
1: Everything but the bones and the
0: in the head, in the head, in the head, in the guts. Obviously, so basically, you cut off the head, slit it open down the middle, rip about the guts, clean it out, and scale it, and it's good to go. You got it. Wow, wow. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this. Uh, uh I'm gonna go catch me one this weekend, I think, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try it. I'll, I'm gonna catch one, I think. Uh, and i'll try it so Devin, um look man we really appreciate you coming on tonight uh spending some time with us i know that uh aside from sackley you do a lot of other fishing and uh i hear really good things about your uh your speckled trout fishing uh some people tell me that leeville is your area so uh maybe we'll have you on again in uh for paddle palooza and you could just tell us yeah, a little bit. Maybe give some people some hints about fishing Leeville.
2: Not any hunting holes, he has, but he maybe he has just one has. minimalist challenge twice. So uh, that must tell you something.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did,
1: did you say Lee'sville? Was that with an S, Lee'sville? It, Lee, Leeville. Leeville. Oh, I never heard of that place. I don't know.
0: <laughs> so, guys, look, uh, I want to give a special thanks to Tricia Lewis. Uh, I think we forgot to thank her last time. Tricia uh, is Todd's wife, his better half, obviously. She came up with our awesome logo uh, with the trout, the redfish, and the flounder. Uh, I call the trout Mr. Speckles. But she did that herself. And uh, take a look at the pizza. It's got some um, neat little baits on there. I'm sure some of them might even be Sackley baits. Uh, as a reminder, if you missed part of tonight's episode, you can check it out on YouTube. Uh, it'll probably be available tomorrow. It'll also be on Facebook. And uh, again, it'll be available on uh, as a podcast on Apple and uh, and Google. Again, uh, Devin, thanks for coming on tonight. We look forward to having you back
2: soon. Um, yeah, thank you, Tyler, Devin. I know again I sure learned a lot. I'm sorry? I said thanks, Devin. I sure I know I sure learned a lot.
0: Absolutely, I did too. I did too. I, I'm going to – looks like I'm going to have to go buy another six, seven tackles of uh, of bait there and, uh, and give me some new ultralight spinning
1: rods. New addiction. There you go.
0: Look, I know Puglias and uh, and Cabelas and Bass made uh, you made a lot of people happy tonight. <laughs> so good night, uh, tight lines, and and then we'll see you all next week. Thank you so much.